0: It's crucial because if you want to establish a baseline of the Trump loan, right? You have to you have to show that VTB, uh, why VTB or that VTB was in fact underwriting. And what we have here is a document that shows the relationship between DBTCA and and VTB, and it's ongoing during sanctions. So Trump would have had to get these loans signed, the current most current ones anyway, during a sanctioned uh, a sanctioned bank, and that's. You know, it sort of gives you a baseline from what's going to happen next.
1: Welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name's Eric Dreitzer. Thanks so much for tuning in, coming back to the show. First time listeners finding the show. Welcome aboard. Did a uh, little hiatus on this show. I do apologize for that. Life intervenes at times, but we are back and we are ready to bring all of that good content that, you, uh, that you've that you been jonesing for these last couple of months. So uh, with that said, I want to just remind you that Counterpunch does depend on you guys for support. Uh, you can get a subscription to the magazine, help to keep us alive, keep us going, printing on paper, getting that website website with original content every day. And uh, I just stress, as always, the importance of supporting independent media. Independent media really does depend on all of us. And quite frankly, that corporate matrix of the corporate media is just so poisonous to us these days. So we really do need to support each other. Uh, And on that note, I have a couple of people on the line with me today who are also independent, who are also trying to get at the truth and who have done some amazing work recently. So I'm very happy to welcome them onto the show. Uh, Scott Stedman and Val Brooksmith are with me today. Uh, Scott is the founder and CEO of Forensic News. Forensicnews.net is the website. He's an investigative journalist. Uh, his work has appeared in The Guardian, The Atlantic, and a number of other places. He is the author, most importantly, of the book, Real News, an investigative reporter uncovers the foundations of the Trump-Russia conspiracy. You can follow him on Twitter at Scott M. Stedman. Uh, Val Brooksmit is also with me on the line. He is a whistleblower on the Deutsche Bank... Um I don't know what we'll call it—conspiracy. Uh, he is also the founder of the uh, very important indie rock band Bikini Robot Army. He has 36 albums and a single to his name, and so much more. He is also a counterintelligence special advisor to the FBI, related to all of the issues that we're going to be talking about today. And uh, he has some hazy connection to Oxford and Cambridge universities that we may or may <laughs> not—we we may or may not investigate during the course of this conversation. With all of that said, Val and Scott, welcome to Counterpunch Radio. Thanks for having us, Eric. Thank you, Eric. So there's a lot to talk about. We could probably go on for many, many hours on all of the nuances, but I want to bring everybody up to speed because so much is happening in the world uh, just in this last few days that it's very mm-hmm. easy to miss gigantic, earth-shaking news stories. And in fact, forensic news published one of these gigantic, earth-shaking news stories. Headline, Trump Deutsche Bank loans underwritten by Russian state-owned bank, whistleblower told FBI. That was published on Forensic News January 3rd. Major story. I want to just begin there. Bring us up to speed with a kind of a nutshell summary, if we could, Scott. What is in that story that people really do need to read for themselves?
2: Sure. So there's a few different sections to the story. Um, The lead for us was based on our relationship with Val, who we've met with um, over over the past few months. And he has recently told the FBI um, in their series of meetings and calls that he's learned from his sources close to the bank that the Russian state owned bank, VTB, was an underwriter for Trump's loans at the bank, at Deutsche Bank. Basically, Um, uh, they VTB went on to say if Trump would default that they would take a hit. Um, so it was basically a guarantee from the Russian state. Um, and this is what Val has told the FBI, um, in their continuing relationship. So that, that was the first, uh, chunk of our article. And then we kind of laid out Val as a legitimate whistleblower and how his documents have led to action. Um, for example, with the New York fed, they dropped a big fine on Deutsche Bank directly relating to the documents that Val gave them. Um, prosecutors in Italy have um, brought charges against um, senior Deutsche Bank executives based on, um, in parts, uh, knowledge that Val shared with them. Um, so yeah, that was the second part of our article. And then we get into more of uh, the connections between VTB and Deutsche Bank, uh, the Russian state-owned bank, and Deutsche Bank, the bank that loaned to Trump. Um, Over $2 billion. Um, So yeah, this is um, what Val has told the FBI. And we consider Val to be a credible source, obviously, based on the documents that we've seen. Um, And that's kind of what the article was all about.
1: And I want to uh, get a little bit of a sense from Val about that story. But if I could just follow up with you real quick, Scott, can you just explain Mm -hmm. for listeners the importance of understanding VTB, the role that it plays? And when you say that it's a state bank, what does that actually mean in the context of sort of the oligarchic system in Russia?
2: Right. So VTB is kind of known as, quote unquote, the oligarch bank in Russia. Um, When we say it's a state bank, we mean that it's state owned, so basically controlled by the Russian government. Um, The executives at VTB are all uh, very connected to Putin. They have regular meetings. Um, And like I said, it's the oligarch bank. So all the major oligarchs basically use VTB for their banking purposes. Um, And just speaking with Russian experts, I don't think you can find a closer bank um, to the Kremlin than VTB. It's very, very under the hand of Putin um, and the Kremlin.
1: So the importance of this then is a, if not directly tangible, then an indirectly tangible link here between Trump and uh, the Kremlin in some sense. So I guess that then raises the question, especially if someone who's listening is somewhat skeptical of these connections, that raises the question of who is Val and what is this information that he's providing? So, Val, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, who your father was, and how you kind of found yourself in 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 the middle of all of this with this information? uh
0: sure <laughs> okay well i am val and uh i don't say, what was the first part of that
1: well basically basically <laughs> uh a little bit about yourself but especially about your father and how okay. you and your father okay. fit into this picture
0: sure well your intro was was uh, very kind to of me uh yeah i'm just i'm a musician uh i have 36 albums and a single i should really get that on a t-shirt shouldn't i uh, <laughs> and uh, I've been a musician most of my life um, and then all of a sudden my father dies and then I'm no longer a musician Uh, my father uh, killed himself in London January 26 uh, 2014 and it was very unexpected and uh, very disastrous and traumatic, it was a a crazy thing Um, and uh, it changed my life completely um, my focus, uh, i looking back on it now. My focus in life at that point became very narrow and very simple. And it was just figure out what happened. Why did my dad kill himself? And why, why did my dad kill himself? Who's, who's responsible for it, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, to bring anyone that's, that contributed to that, uh, to, uh, to justice, I guess, she included a guy named Michele Faisola, included, uh, bunch of other bankers I won't name, included a uh, Deutsche Bank in general, and uh, yeah, that's that's been my my goal in life lately. Yeah, I don't know, and that's how I got in the middle of all this stuff. Really, I didn't mean to get. I don't really care about politics. I mean, I couldn't give too. Sh- I couldn't could I swear on
1: this program. Or- Absolutely, my friend. I, I could not
0: <laughs> give a fuck about Trump. I could not give a fuck about politics. And I couldn't care about fucking Glenn and opposition research or the FBI. It was just sort of like a you know something you'd see in television movies for me. It was nothing. I, I didn't. It was not in my purview. And then I and then all of a sudden, when my dad kills himself, I need I am thrown into the middle of this situation just by accident, man. It's just all accident. I don't know, man. I don't know how to give you the short version. We're gonna be for hours if I tell you, but I'll try to condense it the very the very short, simple way is that my dad left behind a bunch of files, uh, a shitload of documents, uh, in Deutsche Bank, all his emails. And um, at the same time, my mother uh, pulled a coup d'etat with the will. And so I was kind of left out in the cold on my own for many years, the last, well, since 2014. Um, and all I wanted to do, and all my anger and my pain, I uh, was just, I focused it all on Deutsche Bank and just trying to solve this mystery. And in the process, I figured out uh, Monty Deposky was a dirty bank. I figured out who was behind these derivative trades that, that cheated billions of dollars out of the Italians and billions of dollars out of Americans and, and the Brits. And I found all these things, and I started giving them all these documents and emails, which at first I did not understand what the fuck I was reading. It was like looking at a fucking c- cipher, some kind of strange language, <laughs> alien language of finance. Like the AWS risk-weighted positions of the ABX stock fucking trade. I mean, I didn't know what was going <laughs> on. So I, 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 uh, I you know, iTunes University, have you ever heard of this? Yeah.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: You do. You're like the only person. Everyone else usually just uh, overlook this app on every, every phone. Every Apple phone has uh, iTunes U installed on it, and no one ever opens it up. But man, it's a wealth of information you can learn anything you want and so I just started taking classes. The first one I took was uh was a was a finance class by a a, a, a guy in princeton a a former hedge fund manager in Princeton I was teaching a, a a class one hour a week ten hours ten weeks and I just started listening and watching and taking notes of my own and then over the course of time and I was really really focused so I mean, I was super focused with the help of Adderall. I was able to, <laughs> to learn finance, at least the basics of finance at that point. And then I started giving uh, giving documents to various news outlets, and word got out that I had been that I'm the Deutsche Bank guy that have all these documents. And oh man, people just kept calling constantly, just constant calls, um, which included uh, one of my favorite journalists was Charles Levinson from Reuters. He was great. It's one of the first stories I worked on. And then comes, call, then comes a stalker. Something wicked this way comes, and I did not know. <laughs> and he started out as a stalker. His name is David Enrich, and he's now at the New York Times, but he was at the Wall Street Journal at first. And I, and this is before the Wall Street Journal was very. Everything became so polarized, or like right versus left. You know, the Wall Street Journal was still kind of a conservative, but not an asshole conservative paper at the time. And but I still wasn't too happy about it. And uh, I didn't want to work with David at all. And he just kept fucking calling, man, and just bothering my family, my sisters, my mother, over and over. And then he said, Bob, I'm going to write a story about your father. And I said, Great. I'm not going to comment. He's like, You have to. I need you to comment. Do do you say something? I was like, No, I'm not going to say anything. No comment. No comment. And so he decides to, to go ahead and publish without any comments from the family. And it was a huge fucking mistake. And I learned a very important lesson which was that some, this minutia of fucking control is better than none. Just one comment. I could have steered the direction of that article that David wrote in late February, early March 2014. I could have had some control in it, but I didn't. And because of that, because I said no comment, he published the most ridiculous fucking article ever. Which was that my father kills himself because, and he doesn't say it directly in the headline, but he alludes to it. He says, Bill Brooks killed himself amongst fear and anxiety into the LIBOR probe. So I was like, what the fuck? Like, who is he to say why my father killed himself? He has no idea. Uh,
1: so, listeners, just just as background, the LIBOR scandal of a number of years ago was basically the uh, the bank, the interbank loaning uh, mechanism where the banks were basically uh, found to be fixing the rates in, in their own interests in blatant uh, disregard of law. Go ahead. That's
0: correct. That's right. The, the uh, London Intercontinental uh, Banking interest rates—that's uh, what library stands for—and um, they do. They set interest rates. And the basic gist of the scandal, scandal is that some guys would get the, the these interest rates in the morning, and they would call their friends and say, "Hey, guess what? The rates are going to be today. You, know, you get an advance notice." And my father has nothing to do with this—not—not not even a little bit, right? But David was writing a book at the time, right? So he decided that this would great go great in my book if I could somehow fit it in. So he puts like a square square circle in a round peg or whatever the fuck that is. You know the pegs in the circle. He somehow managed it to work. Actually, if you take a round peg and put it in a square circle, it does work. <laughs> but it doesn't work the other way around.
1: <laughs> this is the kind of knowledge that whistleblower can provide that you just can't get yeah. <laughs>
0: You know, again, stop me if I go on a tangent. But uh, what was my point? Oh, yeah. So David writes this fucking terrible article. So I am fuming. I mean, I am so fucking pissed. And I'm like, fuck this David guy. And fuck this Wall Street Journal paper. I'm going to destroy them. And so I come up with this plan. And Charles actually could verify this. And so could a couple other friends of mine at the time. And the plan was to befriend David and get him to, uh, to the uh, comfortable enough so he does not fact check every document I sent him. And uh, after a period of time when I feel it's right, I was you to know, slightly doctor a, a percentage point here or a number there or a name here, and then have him publish this in the Wall Street Journal. And then I called the Wall Street Journal saying, hey, I have the original document. This, these numbers don't add up. Something went wrong here. I think David Enrich did this doctor these numbers. And then there would be the end of David, and the and I in my head I thought that would be that would be enough to take down the Wall Street Journal. So that was my revenge plan for a very long time, in uh, in the in the December fall, uh, almost to the end, almost for a full year of 2014. Then the Sony hack happens, and Charles Levinson comes down. I'm working on a story with him about the Deutsche Bank stress test. And during the Sony hack, I thrust in the middle of this ridiculous, absurd fucking play. The scene was, <laughs> you remember that, that stupid thing? Um, and I got accused of hacking Sony. Basically, the hackers had uh, just given me the information. Um, I don't know why. I asked for it, I guess. You know, maybe no one else asked. I don't know. But I seem to be the only one in the English speaking world that had the, this, uh, the Sony, the hack Sony documents. Um, and so I, I just gave them away to everyone. I gave them to to Wall Street Journal. I gave them to Motherboard. I gave them to New York Times. Uh, Nicole Perlot, I remember. Said, oh, you can't. I can't look at this for two weeks. But uh, take a look at it in two weeks. Like the lawyers say we we're not allowed to look at this. The Reuters took it, and everyone else went with it. And then I was sort of thrust in the middle of that. And Sony came after me and tried to sue me. David Boyce sent me this angry letter, threatening to take my firstborn child and chop me up in pieces and throw me in the desert. Um, but David Enrich said, hey, Val, can I publish this letter from David Boyce in the Wall Street Journal? And I'm like, okay, fine, go ahead. And, you know, I didn't think much of it. And he published it. And within, like, 30 minutes of the publication, I started getting phone calls from everyone in the world asking for uh, a comment or for more documents or doing a story on it. So, and that sort of took my mind off my my father and the misery i was going through at the time um and you know and, and it was enough to make me forget about my dastardly plan to destroy david because um, he's like well valley just made you famous for 10 minutes I'm like ah, david it's more like four minutes you know but you know it's okay and i, and I sort of we became sort of friendlier at, at that sony hack and i dropped my evil plan
1: did he not know about the 36 albums before that and that you were already famous?
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, wait. He did not. No. David does not listen to music. But uh, And that's another. Never trust someone who doesn't listen to music.
2: Um, he do- Wait, what? He doesn't listen to music? What does that even mean?
0: Yeah. Like How he do you not
2: listen have- to music?
0: He does not turn on the radio and listen to music. He when, he, when he
1: walks into an elevator, he puts his fingers in his ears. Yeah. yeah. He won't hear yeah.
0: it. It starts melting. Yeah. No, it's like uh, he doesn't know who he knows who Mick Jagger is and Keith Richards, but he doesn't know Charlie Watts. He couldn't name the rest of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> he doesn't know much about seventies versus eighties versus nineties. He doesn't know shit. Like the guy's a little out there, you know, which is okay. I like out there people, but when they turn against you, it's not fun. So anyway, I befriended David at this point, and I let go the whole my whole plan. And I told David about my plan, you know, years later, and he thought it was funny, but he was scared shitless about it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And we have this on recording, actually, when he came out here in January. But that's, that's, I'll get to that later. And my next goal was to find out what the fuck Michaela Feistola was doing at my father's apartment. That day, my dad killed himself. And I'm not going into too much detail, but my dad was dead. He was on the floor. Paramedics were there, uh, trying to revive him. And... um Paramedics said that the police are on their way and uh, you might want to find some assistance because my mother was in no state to talk to anyone and I was barely in the reality we are in now. So I said, Mom, we need a, a lawyer. Do we have a lawyer? Is there like a family lawyer of some kind? And uh, I never knew us knew we had one, but maybe she knew something I didn't. So I said, Mom, just can I call somebody? And she said, Call Michaelie, call Michaela. I said, Who's Michaelay? She goes, Call Michaela, he's a lawyer. Said, okay. So I, she gives me her phone and uh, pulls up McKaylee's number, hands it over to me, and I hit send. McKaylee answers, said, hi, McKaylee, you don't know me. I'm Val, Bill's son, and, uh, you know, my father. He's, he's killed himself, he's dead, and, and we need your help. Can you come over right away? And he was, says, of course. And he was there, like, in my head instantly. I mean, he was right there. Later, he would say that he had parked his car around the corner, and that's why he was there so quickly. Um, And he was extremely helpful that day, but he was not a lawyer, nor is he a lawyer, and never has he been a lawyer. And I was uh, like, well, my mother said you were a lawyer when he arrived. I'm not a lawyer. I just work with your father. I don't understand. And I looked at my mom, and she was just inconsolable. So I let it go. Um, But it stuck with me for a long time. Why did he get there? Why did my mom say he was a lawyer? Uh, And so these are questions that I needed to solve. And why did he go through my father's files? You know, at first, I thought it was innocent enough. You know, he went to my dad's computer and started looking around. And I thought he was doing just the same thing I was, which was trying to figure out what the fuck happened. Well, why did my dad kill himself? There must be some evidence. And maybe there was a, a mistress or a gay lover or some secret family. Did he lose a lot of money? You know, was he going out at nights murdering people? And I don't know. I wanted to know. You know? And I thought Michaela was thinking the same thing. Um, and he's very well might've, I don't know, but, uh, the more I got to know Michaeli, the more I see something else going on entirely. So, um, after the Sony hack, I went back to the East coast. I was in, uh, California for a while. Um, and I came back to the East coast to try and solve this thing with Michaeli. So I start calling people that are in my father's emails. People my dad was friends, friendly with, uh, lawyers and colleagues and old friends etc and again the one was michaelie and i start uh, emailing michaelie and we start having a conversation and uh, it continues on for a few more months and he's very shady he doesn't answer anything directly um and then i just start getting pissed off about that and confront him saying like, we well, just answered my fucking question what were you doing there what what's the problem and was my dad involved in some some, uh, fraudulent activity at Deutsche Bank. And of course, he wasn't. And like, oh no, he wasn't doing anything. K- Mckelvey brings up the Monte de Paschi. And I'm like, what the fuck's a Monte de Paschi? <laughs> you know. And then it takes me a few months to do some googling and some phone calls, and I and I learned that Monte de Paschi was a, a bank, the oldest bank in Italy, uh, formulated like 1495 or something like that. Well, maybe the oldest bank in the world. I'm not quite sure. But uh, and after, but they were in debt. Uh, God, they had nine billion dollars of terribly bad loans, and it wasn't loans. Sorry, it was a, a derivative swaps, credit derivative swaps um, that they were hiding from the financial crisis just uh, a few years before. And McHaley's job was to hide the losses um, from the books and make it look like that um, like, uh, Monte Paske was above board and that they weren't a mess and they weren't going to bankrupt. Uh, the country, and that they weren't going to cause a recession in Italy, which they eventually did. Okay, and it was completely illegal. And my father uh, was the risk manager, so he's told Michele, Michele, no, you can't do this deal. You can't deal with these people. It's it's just not, it's not good. It's not going to help us. Um, so it's a big hard no. And Michele said, oh, okay, Bill, okay, it's a no. So he goes and takes it to Anshu Jain, the CEO, directly, and says, Anshu, I spoke with Bill. And Bill seems to be all right with it. Uh, what do I take on the, the lead on this Monty and Posky deal? And she's like, well, Bill says it's okay. Go for it. Wrong. A lie. And he fucked that up. And this is why Michele is going to jail. He was convicted of uh, his fraudulent deeds uh, about a few months ago by an Italian court and now is facing five years in jail.
1: Now, he was convicted, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, but largely based on evidence that you provided, no?
0: You know, yeah, probably. I don't know. I don't. It's one of those things
2: know. where we don't have like a for sure-ski answer. I mean, you can yeah. say, you can probably can't... talk about like the parliament and stuff and their interest.
0: Yeah, the parliament called me. They wanted me to testify. Um, there was one English-speaking guy in parliament that I spoke to. His English is terrible. But they wanted to fly me out, I remember, in uh, 2018, around March, February 2018, and to testify directly to Parliament uh, about Michele's involvement in uh, Monteposki. And I said, look, I don't know all the details of it, but what I can give you are all the documents I have and all the documents I've uh, uh, amassed along the way, which, on a side note, I uh, I spent about two years roaming Europe from Siena to Amsterdam to Berlin to Biarritz all over the place and uh, even Lugano Switzerland to confront uh, Sergio Armadi at UBS but I in along the way I amassed a lot more documents so my father's cachet the stuff I had for my father now is just an aggregate of what I have Um, and along the way I I went to David Rossi's uh, lawyer David Rossi was a a banker who was uh, supposedly thrown himself out of a window in his office. And he threw himself out backwards. Mm. And he threw himself out with scratches on his arms and uh, bruises all over his neck. And he threw himself out with paint underneath his fingernails. Or he had uh, supposedly not been scratching the window pane. As he was not being pulled towards the window. <laughs> and uh, apparently there was never a watch that came in after him. About two minutes after he fell, a watch was not thrown after him and landed on his body. So I went to the family who, clearly this was a murder, and was caught on camera. There was a camera there that saw the whole thing. And um, I spoke to the, to the Rossi family, and they gave me everything David had. Everything. Every internal Monty Deposki document you can think of. And yes, I gave that to the federal investigator, sorry, to the parliament. To the investigators in Italy, and I gave it to a few journalists, Italian journalists as well, and then uh, just recently I gave it a home at uh, dvossecrets.com, which is sort of a, a better leaky week, leaky week, um run by Emma Best, very good site. So it's up there if you guys want to see it, but you'll have to
1: you know learn Italian. <laughs> Just as, a, just as a side note to everybody, we did the announcement on the 29 leaks uh, here on Counterpunch a number of months ago. You can find that from Barrett Brown writing about the 29 leaks mm-hmm. hosted at DDoS by uh, Emma Best and others. So we really appreciate all the work that they've been doing as well. Um, Scott, I wanted to turn to you if I could real quick and ask you to fill in a little bit of details for us about this entity DBTCA. Uh, What is DBTCA? What makes it unique and how does it fit into this story? So DBTCA stands for Deutsche
2: Bank Trust Company Americas. And it's um, just a it's a subsidiary of the bank um, that employs like 700 people compared to the 10,000 that Deutsche Bank has um, in the United States. Um, and this subsidiary is the one that loaned all this um, money to Trump. Um, and that, that total is over $2 billion. Um, and so for the purposes of the article, we um, got what's called a breach report. And it's basically when a bank's liabilities are more than its assets. Um, so we looked through this breach report for DBTCA specifically, which is just, a, again, it's just a small kind of little sliver Of the of the bank as a whole, it's still billions of dollars, but it's
0: it's yeah. Go for it, it, Val. Scott, no, Scott, you nailed it. You nailed it. He's right. Um, and the reason why Scott uh is is focused on this and why I am is because this is where my father went after his last retirement. retired twice before. The third time he tried to go home, but they the banks the bank would not let him. They said, "Bill, go to DBTCA and sit on the board." And just say yes or no, come in with the gavel, strike the gavel on a <laughs> board a couple of months, a couple of times a month, and then go home with a, with a ridiculous amount of money. And that's like, oh, okay, fine. And he does this. And what he finds there is a mess, a fucking shitty mess. Uh, yeah. A place that has no CFO, run, just terribly, terribly incompetent people. And so he still doesn't
2: have a CFO, by the way, just for the that's record. That's right. Still no CFO. And it has
0: $23 going through it. So it's not as small as you might think. I mean, sleepy, and it's not something you've heard of uh, on a daily mm-hmm. basis. But uh, Scott was saying, I mean, it is—it uh, is crucial to what what we're talking about, what, what's going on in the nation. So sorry, Scott. Right. It's a,
2: no, yeah, no, it's a good point. It's important to underscore that you know DBTCA is separate from Deutsche Bank, and it might be you know gibberish to a normal person that, you know, the normal person on the street, but it's a very important distinction because like we said, this subsidiary was the one that lended to Trump. And, um, like I was saying, based on the documents that Val gave us, we were able to establish that DBTCA specifically had a relationship with VTB. Um, there was, I've, I don't have the number in front of me right now, but there was, uh, something like $50 million, um, that DBTCA owed VTB, um, so they were in debt to this Russian uh, government entity, um, and that was part of the, the the files that Val shared with us.
1: So I want to I want to try to make a distinction. I don't know if it's relevant or not, but uh, you can help me out here. So basically. What we, can, what we can say is that, you know, Val is able to kind of establish this link and the documents are able to establish a sort of indirect link through this subsidiary. Yes. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. The documents, I mean,
2: I, I wouldn't call them an indirect link. They don't prove the claim about Trump, but it's, it is a very direct link and might be important to, um, not might, we know for a fact it is important to investigators and they're looking at this relationship between VTB and DBTCA. Right. Um, so yeah, it's exactly. it's important, but it's um, it doesn't it's, it's prove also, the big Trump claim. But it's yeah. also
0: important, though. Like Scott has been saying, it's it's crucial because if you want to establish a baseline of the Trump loan, right, you have to you have to show that VTB uh, why VTB or that VTB was in fact underwriting. And what we have here is a document that shows the relationship between DBTCA and, and VTB. And it's ongoing during sanctions. So Trump would have had to got these loans signed—the current, most current ones, anyway—during a sanctioned, uh, a sanctioned bank. And that's, you know, it sort of gives you a baseline from what's going to happen next.
2: You understand? Yeah. And no, oh, I should just say some of those documents that proved a relationship between VTB and DBTCA post-sanctions were from the uh, 29 leaks. Um, we got some uh, business documents that showed that vtb was a uh, course or rather that dbtca was a correspondent bank bank for vtb
1: Um, and so again those 29 leaks documents came in handy let Sorry. me just let me just do a quick uh, backup for uh, a second and just remind people, sure. when we're talking about the 29 leaks, we're talking about the leaked in- documents that came out of what's called Formations House in the UK, which was this private entity that basically existed solely for the purpose of creating these shelf companies, whereby people from all over the world could hide their assets through various companies that, and basically pay a flat fee to these guys to create these companies. So the documents that have come out of that have shown a light. On innumerable uh, financial crimes that have probably taken place over the course of a couple of uh, you know a couple of continents and a couple of decades. That's
0: mm-hmm. correct.
1: Yeah, I'd, to, I would don't compare don't them to the Sherwood. Panama Papers.
0: Yeah, don't forget about Sherwood as well. In the same, That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sherwood was the came, Grand Cayman Bank that was uh, hacked very recently, and got a lot of great stuff from there as well. In, in the same DDoS secret uh, directory.
1: So also the, the, the point about underwriting, I think is, is critical here. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? I don't know, Scott or Val or both of you talk a little bit about underwriting and what that means and why it's critical to understand in this picture.
0: Yeah, Scott, you got it.
2: Sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, so so there's basically a a couple of things here. One, um, I think I mentioned this at the top, underwriting means that VTB would, um, uh, take the hit if if Trump were to default. Um, and we know he's done this before, obviously, so um, it's, it's a yeah. big deal that someone would.
0: So uh, yeah, that's right. They take responsibility. Um, but underwriter also is synonymous with funder. You know, you could say you need a new underwriter, uh, Scott. We're not going to pay your allowance anymore. So yeah, mm-hmm. your dad saying that. So you need a, a new uh, benefactor. Right. It, 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 sorry, that was a joke,
2: Scott. Sorry. <laughs> I don't personally do I do I need a new? <laughs>
0: I'm just kidding I'm just joking but that's the, that's the basic gist. it's almost the same thing as a funder someone that will fund you as an underwriter
2: yeah and an- another point that we made is that underwriters have access to all financial information for the person that they're underwriting for exactly. um, so that would give VTB and thus the Russian government an inside look into Trump's finances which we all know were kind of a mess at the time
0: exactly
1: that's probably the most critical point let's uh that's a good that's a good moment for us to take a break we're going to take a break sure uh listen to some music on the other side of the break i want to talk a little bit more about some of these specifics and then maybe if we could uh zoom out a little bit and 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 try to place all of this into the broader uh picture of trump russia and all of these other narratives so uh stick with us we'll continue the conversation with scott Stedman and val brooksman here on counterpunch radio we'll be right back back here on Counterpunch Radio. I'm chatting with Scott Stedman and Val Brooksman. Again, the website Forensic News is one that really does need to be in your rotation these days, forensicnews.net. Really, really great investigative reporting there. Scott and the team do an excellent job. Um, So if we we could pick up kind of where we left off, I mean, we were talking a little bit about DBTCA and some of the broader, uh, you know, uh, outlines of this story. So Val, where, where do you come in, in terms of your interactions with the federal government, with the FBI, with the DOJ? How did all of this happen? Because obviously there's a number of steps between you discovering the documents and you being able to make those kind of connections.
0: Well, um, sure. I, uh, you know, learned finance and I understood what was going on and, Uh, I decided in 2015 to uh, reach out to the DOJ. Now, at the time, I was not in good shape, man. I was a mess. Um, And I was, like, sort of roaming around the country in my car, sleeping in the back of the car, trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with my mom, why she's stealing everyone's money, and why uh, no one is listening to me. Um, So I sent an email to... DOJ, like sort of just an anonymous tip line or they're, you know, call us if you got a, you know, some sort of bank fraud statement. So I read an email saying, look, I got, uh, all these documents from my dead father and I learned that the Deutsche Bank is up to no good, more specifically DBTCA. And at the time there was some JP Morgan documents I had too. So I included JP Morgan and I sent this email thinking that they'd put me in some protective custody and, you know, I would have, uh, uh, you know, be somewhere to go live for a little bit while I could study all this stuff and finish my project, which was, you know, destroying to Bang. <laughs> so, but I never heard back. And this is also, uh, I had a, a therapist named Larry who was advising me at the time. And he said, Val, you've got to get protect- protective custody. People are following you and you've got to be more paranoid. Like, Larry, okay, I'm going to do it. So that's why I sent the this email didn't hear back until fall of 2018 and that's when I get a a strange text from someone claiming that they're from the FBI and would I be interested in in speaking and that scared the shit out of me. This is the middle of uh, my relationship with David and the New York Times and David uh, about months a few months ago had gone all in or Harper Collins had gone all in with a book and New York Times went all in with a profile. And we had been talking about some very secretive things and uh, a lot of data that should not be public. So we were kind of paranoid about who was listening, who was watching, who was following, if any. And um, this guy that says I'm from the FBI without any formal documentation says, "Hey, I'd like to come out to your house and talk to you about what you got." I'm like, what? Oh, if your house, it's not, if That's not okay. You know what? We can meet in a hotel room. It's like what? It's even worse. I'm like no. I don't know who you are. You know, prove to me you're from the FBI. And he says, okay, I'm going to call this number. This is my squad number. This is my name. This is my badge number. Ask to speak to me right now. And I'm not going to give you the number to call. You can just Google the FBI offices in uh, one federal plaza in uh, in New York. And I said, okay. So, you know, I call and they connect me right to this guy. So I figured that's pretty good. Good enough. He says, look, I don't. we don't do this over the phone. We're not going to tell you what we're interested in. And I don't want you to tell me anything you've got. Um, we're going to come out to you. I was like, uh, okay. I was like, well, how is this? Why are you calling me now? He like, you remember in 2015, you wrote this email to the DOJ? And I'm like, what? And I, and I racked, racked my brain. And it, it dawns on me that I did, in fact, write this thing. And he said, well, we just got it. He's like, well, that's a little slow. You're a little behind, guys. <laughs> and you know, and his, his favorite line is like, I'm sorry, Val. I say this all the time, but wheels adjust this move slowly. I'm like, okay, thank you. You know, thanks for that cliche. But come on out, and instead of my house or a hotel room, we're going to meet in a federal building around a lot of people. The door that can be arranged. So they come out, and they come out in, uh, I think it's February. Oh, I have the tag. Hold on. It's, uh, February, February 27th in 2000, of 2019. And they take me to the federal building, and I'm not allowed to sign my name anywhere. They don't want anyone to know I'm here. They they fly out from New York. I think it's important to note that they didn't just pawn it off to um, the Los Angeles branch or the Los Angeles uh, FBI uh, people. They came out themselves. Um, it was two guys, and they're uh, you know they're good people. Right, straight to the point, no bullshit. You know, like this is what we want. This is what we want you to give us. This is what we can give you, which is nothing. But you know. You'll feel a lot better, but I don't know. What, I don't remember exactly. But um, they sold me, man. They sold me. They they said because at the time, if you, if I can just quickly interject, Adam Schiff and Moby and Nancy Pelosi and Dan Golden, There's another thing that happened. I had been uh, David Enrich came out here in January to fact check the book and to go over like the timeline of events. And uh, we recorded all this on our phones, on like the Voice Memo app. And then at the end of it, David says, you know what, can you guys turn off the recordings? And I said, okay. You know, my girlfriend says, all right, let's we'll turn off the recordings. But I give her the, the eye and a nod that between our secret language together means don't turn off the recording. You know? And David says, uh, I can't quote it verbatim right now, but he says something akin to, um, about don't have a good ending for the book or the article. But there's a new investigation uh, uh, by Maxine Waters, is that her name? Maxine Waters and Adam Schiff. And can you You got to get a part of that, get into that. And then I think we could get a, a better ending for the book and the article if you can get involved in this investigation. Like, oh, come on, man. He's like, no, I'm serious. Get in there. Get your documents there, and I'll, and I'll have a better book. And it's also his way of saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to draw out the article for another six months. You know, I'm not going to publish it for six fucking months. I'm like, oh, fucking David. So, I, so I, I do it, I, and the reason how I got there, I told uh, Scott on the other podcast, was uh, also Byzantine, quite a Byzantine task. but I go to a, a dinner party in Hollywood with a bunch of Hollywood people, uh, it's A wonderful actress named uh, Heather Graham, great actress, one of my favorites, and of course Moby was there, and Moby's great, of course, he's a very political man, really smart guy, very political, knows what he's talking about. And he's apparently good friends with Nancy Pelosi. And I said, oh, well, no, Moby, can you uh, put me in touch with Nancy Pelosi? You know, I have all these Deutsche Bank documents, and I give him my whole spiel. And he's like, ah, okay, you know, I'll put you in touch with Nancy Pelosi. But he doesn't. Instead, he says, I have a better idea. Let me put you in touch with Dan Goldman. Dan Goldman is Adam Schiff's lead lawyer. And he says, Adam Schiff is, at this time, this was, uh, when was this? Uh, this was, uh, I don't know, spring of 2019. I said, Dan Goldman and Adam Schiff are starting this new investigation into Trump's finance. Said, oh, great. So why don't you talk to Dan? He's a good friend of mine, and uh, you guys take it from there. So I talked to Dan, and Dan is just an asshole, man. Outright dick. What a, what a, oh. And I, not, I don't hold it against Movi, but this guy was just like, oh, hi, Val. Give me everything you have now. No, I'm not. What do you mean you're not? Moby said that you would. Said, Moby did not say that. Well, uh, it, it was a whole fucking thing. And I don't know who he is. I distrust him more and more. And so I said, Dan, how about this? Put me in the room with Adam Schiff. And I said this so that I could vet him. So that he, was, I, he wasn't was some random disembodied voice on the phone. That, could, uh, that he was who he says he was. And he could do what he said he could do. So Adam Schiff's office is not far from where I am. I figured... Let's see if you if if can do this. I'll bring him some documents. So I prepare these hard drives for Adam Schiff and Dan. And I go to the meeting that Dan set up. And I get in the room with Adam Schiff. And I say, Hey, Adam Schiff, I've got these uh, documents for you, as promised. And he goes, Well, don't give them to me. What am I doing here? I said, we'll, we'll give them to Dan. I said, well, Dan told me to give them to you. I, said, I don't know why he'd say that. There's a proper chain of evidence. Okay, I'm sure there is, but well, why the fuck did he put me here and tell me to come here with these drives if I can't give them to you? Says, I don't know. You're going to have to talk to Dan. I can't, I can't deal with this. It's not uh, professional. That's alright, fine. So I go back outside and I'll call Dan. Dan says, oh, I'm so sorry. Something got fucked up. He's like, let me, let me get in touch with you in the next couple of days and we'll figure something out. During that time, and Dan did not get in touch with me for another two weeks, but during those two weeks is when the FBI came, when they stepped in. That's when they came and they said, Val, you know, this whole Adam Schiff thing, you know, I'm sure it's great and all, but it's a political thing. You know, this is a political thing. And, you know, everyone's got their own agenda. So, you know, but we we're the FBI. We're out here to catch the bad guys. That's it. We don't have a political agenda. We see someone doing illegal stuff, hurting people. We go after them. And, I'm you know, that sold me. That was enough right there. I was like, you know what? I'm with you guys. So Dan then calls me later. And says, "Well, oh, okay, i I got everything ready to go." I said, "Dan, you know what? I'm actually decided not to work with you. I'm gonna just go with the FBI." Like what? And he just fucking lost his shit. Through a fit, man. All these phone calls with him yelling and screaming at I me. Mean, and uh, oh god, he's a dick. So I, <laughs> I I decided at the end. I said, "Look, man, you want anything? Just fucking subpoena me, all right? And fuck you." He's like, "Well, I, we're gonna subpoena me and fuck you too, you know." And that was it. And he does not subpoena me. And this is what one of the many things David gets incorrect or wrong or purposely lies about. I can't tell which one it is. Is that um, uh, I asked later after watching uh, Dan and Adam Schiff flounder? Oops, sorry, just Justin. After watching them flounder in their investigation, I mean it was going nowhere in the early days. I had that figure, you know I. I have this document. I know it's going to help them. I have a few documents. I feel bad. I should just send them these two documents. But I can't just do it because then I would be betraying the FBI because I told them I wouldn't deal with Shift. So I said, look, Dan. And I sent him a text. This is maybe three or four months later. I said, Dan, and I'll show you this text if you need it. I have all the I have recordings of our conversations. I've got every single text I've ever written, everything. So if you need it, just ask me. So I said, Dan, look, I have some documents for you, but uh, you're going to have to subpoena me because I can't. If if you subpoena me, then the FBI will know that I had no choice. Okay. And he said, Val, that's a good idea. Sorry, we got off onto the wrong foot. And I said, Yeah, me too. I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I said, Great. Well, I'll send me the subpoena as soon as you can. He goes, No problem. And two days later, he subpoenaed me. And that's how that happened. That's it. Very interesting. Not the uh, trying to extort them for money and subpoena me because I'm an asshole story that David purported.
1: Well yeah, and actually I, I wanna get to that in a second. Um but Scott, I wanna I wanna get you in here to help us to pick uh, pick up the thread here and, and, and place this into the broader narrative of Trump and Russia because you've written a book on this and one of the, I think, key points that really becomes evident in your book and in some of the writings from other people is just how vast all of this information is and it's quite difficult to really put it all together and keep it straight in your mind. So that's what I'd like you to do for us. How does the information from Val on this story that you guys have broken in Forensic News, how does that fit into the broad Broader Trump-Russia puzzle, and does it help us to clarify some areas that previously had been a bit opaque? Yeah, so
2: it's interesting. We don't really have a good idea if Mueller looked into Trump's finances. In fact, I'd say it's probably unlikely. Um, we never really had any solid reporting that Mueller subpoenaed any um, any financial records. Um, there was one report that, w- that was uh, recanted. Um, so the this thread of Trump's finances and the Trump org um, loans and um, other business dealings um, is something that Mueller didn't really follow. Um, and, like we said, we talked about how, you know, being an underwriter, um, VTB would have access to uh, financial information from Trump and from the Trump organization. Um, and that for me, just as, uh, you know, as a writer, as a researcher, raises serious, uh, counterintelligence concerns. Um, if the Kremlin had an inside look into Trump's finances, um, where there's more than likely, I would say financial wrongdoing, um, that could obviously be something that they could hold over his head. Um, and that's just a counterintelligence nightmare. So, um, in the broader context of things, I don't think it's um, uh, unimportant because it wasn't in the Mueller report. Um, I just don't think that that's something that he thought was in his purview. Um, and we know there's ongoing counterintelligence investigations now um, into Trump and and Russia specifically. Um, so I would say that this article kind of fits into that side of things more than um the criminal we, side though we do talk about the criminal money laundering investigation that's happening into deutsche bank um yeah. but in but terms of trump a, russia go ahead val
0: no sorry sorry i just wanted to quickly interject uh, but scott you and i did find something interesting lately uh recently
2: oh uh, yeah that, that, uh yeah. i should i could probably tease it out um yeah Uh, i don't know how much i want to say um forensic news
0: buddy you take this this
2: so we have a lot more evidence pointing to russia's involvement in deutsche bank um that for whatever reason hasn't been published even though i know (laughs) val you've shared some of this information with other people but um we'll be publishing that probably within a week or so and it really just strengthens the connection between deutsche bank and the russian uh state as a whole um, and exactly. that's a very important missing link that hasn't been um, established yet but uh, we're gonna be on that path here pretty soon
0: and there's also a possibility that uh, uh, Mueller and uh, one of his 14 uh, investigations he delegated to uh, other districts like SDNI mm-hmm. uh, yeah
1: at
2: the uh, end of, yeah at the end of the Mueller report there's a bunch I think I think 14 or 12 or something like that that Mueller basically farmed out um we only know a couple of those one of them was like george nader uh there are a couple others that have been named the trump uh inauguration investigation
1: right but
2: there's a lot of those that are still completely redacted and we still don't know anything about it um like i tweeted the other day 11 percent of the report is still completely redacted and that's That's kind of ridiculous considering that it's uh taxpayer funded right
1: I wanted to ask something else that was mentioned in the article that some people who even casual observers of all of these uh, issues might remember this whole story of Trump Tower Moscow and Felix mm-hmm. Sater and uh, potentially the involvement of uh, VTB in this massive venture that, uh, although it didn't happen, really is quite central to this whole story. So can you draw that out for us a little bit about this uh, this Felix Sater, VTB connection and whether that that's relevant to what we're talking about. Well, yeah, Scott, I think we. Scott
0: published a great a great letter from Michael Cohen. Remember? Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah Michael close. Cohen. Uh, hate tweeted at me one time. Um, but yeah, no, no. The uh, Trump well, Tower of Moscow stuff is interesting.
0: Sorry, sorry, Scott. He he didn't just tweet it. Yet. He wrote that letter to um uh who was it? Felix Sater. It was from Felix Sater to Michael Cohen. Yeah. So
2: it's that's it's from. Knew. This Yeah, it's from Sater um, basically saying – it's an email in late 2015 basically saying that VTB was going to be the one that uh, financed Trump Tower Moscow. And yes. they were also the yeah. entity that was going to arrange for the visas for Michael Cohen and Sater to travel to Moscow to do the deal. Um, yeah. So Sater – it's, pr- it's in, in black and white pretty much saying that he has connections to VTB. I subsequently called him last week um, and he denied anything about like pretty much a blanket denial. He said there was no uh, contact with anyone at VTB who knew the Trump organization. Um, there's no connection between VTB and Trump.
0: Good grief. Um, basically right there yeah in the letter.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty clear in the email that he knew somebody at VTB, um, and his connections to well, Russian directly, intelligence are interesting as a whole. But
0: Andre Kostin directly. His connections
1: his, his connections to multiple intelligence agencies are quite interesting. Yes.
2: Yeah, and Andre Kostin that's a good point, Val. Andre Kostin leads VTB. I don't know what his title is. I think it's president or chairman or something. He's very close to Putin. Um, And his son was actually in charge of Deutsche Bank Moscow. So (laughs) um, it's an interesting like VTB and Deutsche Bank have this this relationship that hasn't been fully fleshed out. And uh, that's why I I think the article is so interesting.
1: Scott, am I tripping right now? Or was that the same guy who was caught flying into Fort Lauderdale in the middle of the night last week? No. Don't no. That's a different bank. That was uh,
2: Spare Bank, but that's another oh, very oh, right. interesting topic that have hasn't been answered.
1: Yeah, there was. Uh, I know that you tweeted about it, and some other people I think had mentioned uh, some very interesting flight activity going into yep. the uh, closest airport to Mar-a-Lago.
2: That's right. Trump that's was there, and uh, the personal jet of uh, the the CEO of the largest bank in Russia, Spare Bank. Uh, yep. a guy the na- by the name of Herman Greff, who Trump met actually in Moscow when he did the uh, pageant. Um, his private jet flew into Fort Laud- Lauderdale for some reason, and uh,
1: nobody seems to know why. Yeah, on, on 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 the most important holiday for all for the Russians on the Russian calendar. That's right. Yep. Um, I, I just one other one other point on that before we begin to wrap this up. Um, I guess, look, I know that, I, look, I know you're an investigator and you're going to stick to the evidence and what can be proven. And so I'm not going to yeah. ask you to give your opinion on any, you know, whatever. But from, from the perspective of of someone who will voice their opinion, it sure does look like VTB and Trump is more than just a little cozy relationship. It, it, it looks almost like a patronage type situation.
2: Agreed. Sure. I mean, there's, yeah, go, f- I mean, I would say just, I don't want to speculate, but I would say, Based on the documents, we know that um, VTB and DBTCA have this close financial relationship at the same time that DBTCA was loaning to Trump. So it's not a big jump um, to to make this claim. Um, And there's a lot of documented evidence, like I said, the relationship between VTB and Deutsche. um,
0: If I I may, um, it doesn't necessarily equate to Trump uh, knowing that he was uh, being funded by VTB. Mm-hmm. Trump, I, I don't, that doubt he even cares where the money comes from as long as it's there. So let's say Rosemary Verbalic and uh, decides to repackage a loan, and wherever she gets the funding, or wherever it, it doesn't matter to Trump, he might not even be aware.
2: So yeah, and that's that's pretty common. Yeah, that's pretty common for commercial transactions. Um, the person who is getting loan doesn't often know their underwriter. Totally. But That doesn't negate the fact that the underwriter would have access, like we said, into the financials, right. which is yeah, the, whole, in, the whole problem and, here.
1: Yeah, and that's in problem. that's in that's in most cases, but in most cases the client doesn't represent one percent of the total liquidity of the firm. That's either. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> which is crazy. We only yeah,
2: we didn't expect it to be that much, but we crunched the numbers and Trump and his family uh account for more than one percent of DBTCA's right. entire uh portfolio portfolio and debt
1: so uh to to try to wrap this up here i mean Mm -hmm. is i realize that you know enrich screwed you over val and comes to you and says that he doesn't have an ending and he wants you to you know i don't know dance on his string to give him an ending (laughs) or something but like is there an ending to all of this? I mean, other than, you know, with, with Trump at the guillotine or something. But I mean, like, really, is, is, is there an ending to this? Or is this just going to be, for, from your perspective, just, you know, the ongoing search for, you know, answers?
0: Look, man, I, I don't know. Um, again, I, I'm not into this for the politics. I just got thrown into it, you know. i, I just trying to figure out why my dad killed himself. And that, that journey is taking me to he- here right now, talking to you and meeting Scott. Um, I, is there an ending for me? I don't know. I don't think anyone can really know why someone kills themselves. I mean, of course, there's a few reasons you can assume automatically, but it's not something that's completely knowable, and that's something I learned. And to me, that's unsatisfactory, but it's something I'm going to have to deal with. As far as the Trump stuff and what I've, what I've uh, uncovered in this, along the path, I mean, clearly, the obvious ending is that Trump's impeached and he gets thrown out of office. That's, and you know, we find out that Trump has been uh, beholden to Russians, into Russian money and Russian banks. Mm-hmm. The public doesn't like it, and so they say, "Get the fuck out, Trump." That's the
1: boy. I, I, uh, I hope that that's the case. But boy, do I have this sneaking feeling that none of this shit comes to see the light of day, and that nobody ever bothers to even understand what happened.
2: Huh. Yeah, I hope not. Well, Scott, well unless I, mean, I, I know- fall out of a window.
1: Well, let's not let's not even <laughs> say such things. But I do think that I do think it's important to get this information out there because you know, look, this is a huge story. It was published. Okay, we're recording here on January 11th. I know you're all listening uh, about a week and a half later or so, but this story was published eight days ago, and I have yet to see any traction in the corporate media on this story. And this is a gigantic story. So, it's, it's I have ridiculous. to say, I
2: just want to say real quick, like just in terms of the media stuff read on past the first 10% of the article (laughs) um like the the lead for us and the headline was about Trump specifically um but once you get past that it's all based on documents it's all based on emails which we actually print um and how about just call Val (laughs) like Val is willing to talk and um he's on the record now with us and um uh, I think that based on the documents that we've seen, there's definitely at least one more story here. Um, so if anyone's interested, like this is such a huge story, and I don't fully understand why they're not picking it up. Well, you know, um, what? I, and I that's wanna, a frustration I say, that I share.
0: It's probably my fault, you know, because David fucked me over so badly, and he discredited me. He he just turned me into that's, this asshole, like some asshole self uh, grandi or grandiose, grandiose, yeah out to make money and going to ho- I'm mean, just, man, someone, no one would ever want to deal with. So it is. Was- well, it
2: really, it really tainted. I think that's a really good point. Like it tainted everyone's view. That article um, was like the first, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was like the first time pretty much that you were exposed to the public that's right. um, in right. like a detailed way. Yeah. And so it kind of that- set the tone, it changed the tone and everyone now it just discredits Val for some reason because of that article. And so I think right. for us, part of this was like trying to reset the, the narrative about Val and um, present him as a credible person with uh, documents that need to be seen.
0: Yeah. And thank you. It's true. And I, I blame myself for that. And I hope uh, people will see past this absurdity of David. And eventually I will, uh, my revenge will be enacted completely. Uh, this is sort of, uh, I'll tell you later, but this is just sort of part one of a three part <laughs> revenge series. So David, David, Decided to uh, throw me under the bus. For uh, two years, we've been working intensely, intensely together, and uh, I did not know what he was going to do. I he'd been t- selling me this great profile, and he—he's the guy who's been selling Hollywood on me since I met him. God, the first day he came out here, he wrote and so kind of that book. remember? is a book with David. He wrote. He brought me his library book, and he inscribed to me before there was an article or even anyone uh, approved the article. He inscri- inscribed to me a. Something about uh, on, uh, February fifth, two thousand eighteen. That uh, Val, I can't wait to make to write, to write your story in all its cinematic glory. Hmm. You
1: know?
0: And we we're all going to uh, it, it was to, to get it made in Hollywood
1: and to, and to turn it into a series. And this you should was, see me is. making the jerking off motion with my hands.
0: So <laughs> no, I know, man. I'm telling you, I was like, oh, okay, dude. And this was him. He's the one that has agents. He's got fucking literary and film agents and he's someone sending me out to meetings to meet producers and he writes in his article that i'm the one out there doing this uh, uh for my own self-interest i couldn't
2: a little bit of projection it. there i would say yeah all projections terrible and so he discredits me
0: why i think because when i'm discredited when he publishes the book he sort of takes the credit for everything i gave him you know I gave him all the documentation he refers to. I gave him all the sources that he, that he uh, contacted. I, I gave everything I could not... I did not have. I sent them to the people that... Write,
1: write you out of the narrative and then make it look like he did the research himself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, up. that sounds that sounds like par for the course for a New York Times reporter to be perfectly honest. But, wow. Um,
0: yeah, I, I didn't you know, know that going in. I did not know that thing existed. I didn't know people were like that. You know, I'm naive.
1: So, um... I, I think that I think that well I mean leaving leaving that aside I think that there's a lot more that's going to come out of this and I really do appreciate you all coming on the show to talk with uh, to talk with me about it um, again the website forensicnews.net really does need to be bookmarked in your regular rotation along with Counterpunch and your most trusted um, outlets the book uh, Scott's really important book Real News an investigative reporter uncovers the foundations of the Trump-Russia conspiracy do pick yourself up a copy of that book and uh do check out all of val's work and 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 read up on val and, and his story because it really is interesting and maybe one day they'll get a good screenwriter to do a real story for you <laughs> well
0: are we done now I, mean, I got so much more to say come on <laughs> so you're over glenn simpson and john moscow and bill browder well so
1: so uh well that's we're part have two that we're right. gonna have to have you back for a part two to okay. talk about all of that and um I don't know. We should also drink while we do it or something. I oh, I agree,
2: agree with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all
1: let's right, Scott. Uh, <laughs> let's, hey, let, let's, hey, it's a party, That's right? right? <laughs> anyway, all right. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much. Hey, Scott, Val, thank you again for coming on the show. Listeners, thank you, as always, for checking out the, the podcast for supporting Counterpunch, Forensic News, and all of the alternative media that you do. And we will chat again next week.